Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, the subject we've been on the last few weeks is entitled Faith for the Last Days. And we're living in the last times. Everybody knows that. If you are at all aware of what God's doing, you know that we're living in the last days. If you look around at the world, you can see that we're living in the last days. And so Jesus made a a statement about his return. He said, when the Son of Man comes, that is, comes again, will he find faith on the earth? That tells me that God is looking for a people. When he returns, he will be looking for a people of faith. The answer is yes, there will be faith on the earth because we will be walking by faith, living by faith, talking faith, amen? And so uh, faith is very vital in these last days. A couple of verses that we have kind of uh, focused on in the last uh, one or two sessions uh, is found, first of all, in Hebrews chapter 11. Go over there with me. Hebrews 11, verse number six. Hebrews 11, six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. That is God. I just mentioned that in uh, reference to our, uh, to our visitor's uh, packet that we have. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe. Notice there is no other appropriate approach to God other than faith. He who, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe. Believing is synonymous with faith. I'll say it again. There's no other appropriate approach to God other than faith. And how many of you are aware that that probably most of the church world rarely approaches God in faith? Most people approach God in prayer or in, uh, for, in prayer for things. They don't approach him in faith. They approach him in hope. They're praying and hoping God will do something. Praying and hoping is not believing. Praying and hoping won't get the, won't get the job done. Other people approach God just, uh, uh, you know, as a matter of, of uh, rote, as a matter of just tradition and habit, whether they're singing in church or whatever they might be doing, they're just going through the motions and there's no faith in it. Because it says here, he must, he must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the appropriate approach to God is to come in faith without doubt Believing, not only notice, not only that he exists, but that he will answer your prayers. Amen. And a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people have been taught just traditional sort of uh, 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 common teaching in the world today. It has been for, for uh, a long, long time, centuries really, is you know, you pray, the idea that most people have of prayer is you offer your petition to God and uh, you know, just uh, uh 
you take your best shot. You know, just throw everything out there that you think you might want, whatever would be interesting to you or whatever you think you might need and you just pray and just hope that God can sort it all out and decide what's right for you and what isn't and what his will is and what it's not and then he'll give you according to his plan and, and most of the time people get exactly the opposite of what they prayed for because it didn't come from God but they think it does. You know, the enemy and circumstances in life turn out one way or another and then they just say, well, you know, I prayed and this is what I got and so this must be the will of God for me. That is not faith. He must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not a confuser of those who diligently seek him. Not, not a resistor of those who diligently seek him. Not a teaser of those who diligently seek him. Not a disappointer of those who diligently seek him. But a rewarder. I've used this, this illustration before, but it bears uh, repeating. If, if, uh, uh, if Pastor Greg asked me for my, you know, my, my pen, this particular pen, and, and said, you know, I'd really like to have that. And I, you know, and I reached in my pocket and gave him a, a you know, a, a uh, some, you know, uh, uh, I wouldn't say money clip because it's full of money, but uh, he'd like that better. <laughs> I gave him, you know, a set of car keys or something. Uh, that wouldn't be the same. He wouldn't say, oh, thank you. I got, my, I got my ink pen. He didn't get what he asked for. And yet Christians act that way all the time. They ask for one thing, they get something else and they thank God for it. Well, God didn't have anything to do with it. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. So let's go a little bit further. Go over to James. the first chapter of James, second chapter, excuse me, of James. And uh, it, it would be good for us to read the entire passage from 14 down to 23, but uh, to save a little bit of time, uh, actually down through 24, we've referred to this in previous messages, so we'll just hit the highlights here. Someone will say, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, the previous verse says, thus also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, of course, we pointed out that these aren't the kind of works that people are commonly, uh, what the Bible often refers to as works, works unto salvation. You can't work to get, your, uh, to get right with God or to make God love you or to, to make yourself worthy or acceptable. That's not what that's talking about. One translation, I think it's the Weymouth translation says, what does it, uh, faith by itself, if it, if it does not have corresponding actions, is dead. And so faith has to have corresponding actions. So in Mark chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus said, whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe right then that you receive them. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. That simply tells us that you have to believe you've received it before you have it or you'll never get it. Let me say that again. You have to believe you've received it before you have it or you'll never get it. A lot of people pray and then they wait to see what happens and, if, and then if it happens that they pray, whatever they prayed for, if it comes to pass, they say, well, then now I know I've received because God's answered my prayer and I can see it. That's not faith. It wouldn't take an ounce of faith to wait for until something happens and then you're gonna believe you've received it. You wouldn't need to believe it then, you'd have it. 
Amen. You wouldn't need faith for it. Faith in Mark in in Hebrews eleven chapter one chapter eleven verse one says faith is the is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So we know that Jesus said, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it. But now in James, there's another side of that. He says faith then has to have corresponding actions. In other words, you have to act on what you say you believe. Once you pray and ask God for something, you have to, if you believe you receive it, if you honestly believe in your heart that you have received it by faith, it's yours, your actions, your conduct, and your words will be accordingly. They will, they will correspond to what you believe. And if there are no actions, it's safe to say faith might be there, but it's dead. It's unproductive. It's not doing anything. And that's what James was talking about here. Verse 14 says, what does it profit, my brethren? Well, the answer would be nothing. That's the implied answer, nothing. It would profit nothing, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have corresponding actions, his faith alone cannot save him. Without corresponding actions, no answer to prayer will come. Amen. Well, what do, we, what do we mean by corresponding actions? Let's give you some examples again. We looked at some last week. Go with me to Luke chapter 17. Here's a very good example of corresponding actions. Luke 17, verse number 11. Now it happened as he, that is Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Luke 17, 11. Verse 12, then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. Now the reason they stood afar off was twofold. Number one, leprosy was a very extremely uh, over-the-top contagious disease. And people who were lepers were quarantined. They had to live outside of the city in a leper's colony. They were cut off from family, friends. They had zero contact with anybody outside that leper's colony unless someone in, went in with great precautions, you know, to protect themselves, you know, to, to bring them something uh, or, or, or something along that line. When lepers uh, ventured out of their colony to go somewhere on foot to travel from one place to another, when people approached them, they had to identify from a distance that they were, before people could get close enough to see them and determine it, determine that they were lepers, they had to announce that they were lepers because that gave people then the opportunity of making a wide path around them. That was their obligation. So he met uh, these 10 lepers and they stood afar off. And they lifted up their voice and said, they must have said it very loud because they were afar off. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priests. Now what Jesus, the statement that he made, go show yourself to the priests, you have to understand in the context of the Old Testament law. Uh, under the Old Testament, when a leper, uh, when someone had leprosy, if they were healed, if something happened to them and they recovered from their disease, then they were to go because while they had leprosy, they were considered unclean. 
once they recovered from their disease and all of the uh, 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 outward uh, effects and outward symptoms were gone, they were then instructed to go to the priest and offer a sacrifice, a ceremonial sacrifice, and then a, 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 a ceremony was taken, uh, took place where they pronounced that person ceremonially clean again so that they could be brought back into, accepted back into the community of, of the nation of Israel. And so uh, you didn't go to the priest until you were cleansed. You couldn't go to the, plea, to the priest for the ceremonial cleansing until you had had it, the cleansing in your body. Well, Jesus said to these, to these 10 lepers, go show yourselves to the priests. Now their response could have, could have been, Jesus, didn't you understand? We're lepers. We, you know, we need you to heal us. And if you'll heal us, then we can go to the priest and offer the sacrifice and so forth. But that's not what they did. When Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, the only reason you would go to the priest is that you're healed. So what Jesus is saying is, I've pronounced you well. Now go to the priest and offer what the law required for your ceremonial cleansing. Now notice, and so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. So what did they do? They didn't have any evidence of cleansing. They didn't have any evidence that their wounds were healed, that the disease had abated, that they, that they were cleansed from leprosy. They didn't have any evidence, but they took the step of faith to go toward the priest. In obedience to the command, to the command of God, they took the steps of faith knowing full well that something's gonna have to change before I get to the priest or I could actually be excommunicated from the whole nation because you would be in serious trouble if you got to the priest and still had leprosy. So they're acting on faith. That's what acting uh, on your faith is all about. It's acting like the word of God to you is true. Taking God at his word. If you take God at his word, you're gonna act like it's true. Notice as they, as they went, they were cleansed. Praise the Lord. Uh, go with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. In verse number 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side and he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now the evening came and he was alone there. But the boat was now in the midst of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. This was in the early hours of the morning. Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Jesus was walking on the water. Somebody said, well, that's miraculous, but that's Jesus. Well, let's keep reading. And uh, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. They were afraid, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said to him, come. Now notice when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. 
That's, that's acting on the word. As soon as Jesus made the statement, as soon as he said, come, that is, come to me, he authorized Peter to walk on the water. Now, you and I haven't been authorized to walk on the water. Jesus has never told me to walk on the water, has he you? Uh, anytime I put, if I'm at, my, you know, at home and I, I step into the swimming pool, as soon as I put my foot on the water, it's in the water. There is no walking on the water. And that would be true for anybody in any situation, any age. Uh, people cannot walk on water unless it's frozen. And uh, this wasn't frozen. This was out in the middle of the sea. And, uh, but Peter had a word from God. He had a word from the Lord Jesus that said, come to me on the water. So because Jesus had said it, then that was a promise to Peter that he could do it. So, so uh, armed with this promise that he could walk on the water, having no evidence whatsoever that the water would hold him up, he stepped out of the boat. You know, he had stepped out of the boat before. Every time he had ever stepped out of the boat, his, he went into the water. Hopefully it was close to shore. His life experience had to tell him, I cannot walk on the water. In fact, when they saw Jesus walking on the water, it so startled them, they said, it must be a ghost. Who can walk on the water? And Jesus said, cool it, guys. It's me. Don't be afraid. It's no big deal. I'm walking on the water. But Peter knew that he couldn't walk on the water. But when Jesus said, come to me, step out of the boat and come to me on the water, that was a promise from Jesus that he could do it. And what did Peter do? He stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. Now, stepping out of the boat was not a supernatural act. It was nothing supernatural there was nothing miraculous about stepping out of the boat. He stepped out of the boat the same way you have stepped out of a boat if you've ever done that. You lift your leg up, you, you climb over the side and you step out of the boat. There was nothing miraculous about it. The miraculous happened when his feet touched the water, the water held him up. His miracle happened when he act, acted on the word of command from Jesus. And the same thing is true in our lives we get the results in our lives when we act on the word of God and you have to act before you see it. You have to act before you see the answer. And you act because in your heart you believe you've received whatever it is you've asked for because you have the promise of Jesus that whatever you asked for, if you believe you'll receive it, you'll have it. So you believe in your heart that you've received it and because of that, you step out of your boat of safety your boat of convention, your boat of ordinary circumstances, you step over the circumstances, you step over the difficulty, you take an act of faith. There is something you can do to demonstrate that you believe in your heart that you already have it. And that's faith in action, amen? And the same thing is true uh, in any arena of need in your life. We talked about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts chapter two that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. 
Well, the same thing is true today. You believe you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then you act by opening, opening your mouth and beginning to speak and you're trusting the Holy Spirit to give you utterance. And in that kind of faith transaction, that utterance always comes. It'll always be there. But a lot of people want to hold back and they want to wait until you know, the Holy Spirit sort of takes them over and takes control of their mouth and, and their vocal you know, organs and, and, and makes them speak. That's not the way it works. It says in Acts 2, they were all filled with the Spirit and they began to speak. They began. The Holy Spirit didn't begin to speak. They did. But they began to speak as the Spirit gave utterance. God always responds to an act of faith. Amen. Amen. And when people do not act in faith, that just shows that they don't believe it to begin with. Amen. When people do not act on what they say they believe, it is evidence that they really do not believe it. Because again, if you believed you received the, the answer to your prayer, then you will act like you've received it. And like I said, again, this applies to every arena in life. Not just temporal things like healing or some other blessing, even, even uh, relationship things uh, affecting one another, the things that you believe God for. You know, the Bible says train up a child in the way he is, he is to go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many of you have ever read that or heard that before? That's in Proverbs 22. Train up a child in the way he is, he is to go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, the way that, that verse was interpreted when I was growing up, because most young people in the church that I grew up in, and that not just in my generation, my age, but, but going back over time, most of the young people would be raised in church, but then whenever they reached a certain age, they would, they would backslide and go out and, and follow, not every one of them, but a lot of children would, and young people. They would backslide, they'd fall away from the Lord and then their parents would pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and some of those uh, would return eventually to the household of faith. They'd return to the flock and come back to God and start coming to church again, get their lives straightened out and all of that. And so people would would testify when a, when a young person who was now older returned to the Lord and they'd say, well, just like the Bible says, train up a child on the way he should go and when he's old, he'll not depart from it and see there, that's what's happened. My child has come home. That's not what that verse of scripture says. That verse does not say train up a child on the way he should go and when he is old, he will backslide and go out and ruin his life for 15 or 20 years, have like 35 kids out of wedlock and become a drunkard, come on now, and, and, and get hooked on drugs and, and lose everything he has, but he'll finally come to his senses, saith the Lord, and he will return. That's not what that says. Thank God that people come back, but there's a higher level, there's a greater place to believe. This verse says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart. Not depart and come back, but he will not depart. Now, I saw this as a young man uh, just with our children when they were very young. I saw that this was a promise. 
because I was one of those that was raised in church and taught right and I had been saved as a child and, and uh, knew right and wrong, knew a lot about the Bible. But when I got into my teenage years, I backslid. And as soon as I was able, I moved out of home. I was 17 years old, left home and, and uh, I, for, for several years there, I lived a worldly, ungodly life. And I eventually got back to God, not too late in life, when I was 20, so I had, I had to go a long time, but long enough, that, uh, long enough that I had loss in my life because of my conduct. I lost years. Uh, anytime you live in sin, there's a penalty to pay. Sin always takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and gives you a terrible payoff in the end. And so it doesn't matter if you live in sin for five years or 50 years, there's still uh, uh, consequences of that, and I was suffering the consequence of that. Well, when Angela and I got back into fellowship with the Lord, you know, just real young like that, I suddenly saw this verse of Scripture that I could, I could actually, if I trained my children right, when they grew up, they would not have to go into bondage and backslide. That I could say, no, my children, I took that as a promise from God. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. So I just made that statement. I just said out loud with my mouth, my sons will, all, my, I only had one to begin with, but said the same thing when Greg came along, said my children will always live for God all of their life. When they're young, when they're growing up, they will never depart from God. They will serve God, love God, be involved in the things of God, have a heart for God all of the days of their life. I also saw in Deuteronomy 28 talking about the curse of the law. One of the curses was that your children would go into captivity. And so I knew that was the curse of the law and I was redeemed from that. And so I, I said that. I had gone into captivity for a little while, drug use, alcohol, other things. And, uh, and I said with my mouth, my, my, my boys will never get involved in alcohol. They'll never get involved in drugs. They'll never get involved in illicit sex. They'll never get involved in, in the things of this world that, that bind and captivate other children and young people. It'll never happen to my boys. And I said it and I believed it and I acted on it. Now, how did I act on that? One thing I, one thing I did in acting on it is I never allowed the fear of that to get in me. People would say, well, you never know. You know, children, that sometimes you do the best for them and, and they just don't turn out right. I have parents to this very day tell me, I don't know what's, what happened to my children Pastor, I know I raised them right and I just can't understand why, they live, why they're living like they are and why, why they're not serving God. I know I did everything right. Well, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. What that simply means is God is always true. His word is always true. And if there's anything that doesn't measure up, it's not because God lied. It's not because God missed it. It means we missed it. But parents will come to me and they'll say, and I've had it happen over the years, time and time again. I, don't, I just don't know what happened, Pastor. I raised my children right, and for some reason they didn't turn out right. What they're simply saying is, I am true and God's word is a lie. 
That went over real big. What they're actually saying is, I am true. I did everything right, but even though I kept my end of the bargain, what God said would happen did not happen. They're saying, I'm true and God is the liar. Well, you're never going to get very far that way. and Not with God and not with me. Amen. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart. What does it mean to train up a child in the way he should go? It, it, it means more than bringing them to church. Amen. It brings more than bringing them to church once in a while. It means more than, than bringing them to church when they want to come. It, it means more than bringing them to church uh, on Sundays, but not on Wednesdays. It means more than uh, giving them the choice whether or not they want to be involved in the youth group or not. That's not training up a child. We had, we, we, it was clear in our house, just like Joshua said, as for me, and I made this statement myself over my house. I, I said the same words. I said, as for me and my house, and that includes everybody in it, we will serve the Lord. There was no, there was no room. There was no room for any other conduct or any action in my house we will serve the Lord. Now, I know somebody immediately will think, yeah, well, that worked for you because you're a preacher. Listen, I know scores of preachers that's not working for. In fact, most people are aware and acquainted with the idea, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the saying that the preacher's kids are the worst ones in the bunch. Have you ever heard that before? I wonder if, that, if, that, if somebody just made that up. No. So it, not, it didn't work for me because my, I was a, pra, a pastor and my kids were preacher's kids because like I said, I see preacher's kids all over. I know I personally know ministers that I'm acquainted with right now that I'm good friends with that have good ministries and their kids are not serving God. I know them. So it's, it didn't work for me because of that. It worked for me because I believed it and I acted on it. Acting on it, again, is more than just bringing them to church and hoping that by osmosis, something will click on the inside of them and they'll get what they need. The scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go. What does that mean? That means more than instruction. It means more than just telling. It involves that, but it involves showing them modeling before them, demonstrating before them, living a consistent life before them, day in and day out, week in and week out, without compromising, showing them how it's done. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. There are no perfect parents. There are no perfect parents among us. I, my wife and I, we weren't perfect parents. We got married very young, had children right away, and, and we had to grow up with our kids. And, and that's not the best way to grow up is trying to grow up and you got kids to raise and you're trying to get, you know, grow up yourself. That's not the best way to, to do it. So we made mistakes, but we still were acting on the word of God the best we could. Though we made mistakes, Though we, we didn't always exemplify 
everything we taught, there was a consistency. When we were wrong, we corrected it and got back to the truth. My kids, and, and Pastor Greg can, can attest to this, they saw us living what we preached on Sunday. Again, they didn't see, I'm not saying they saw us always perfect, but they saw a consistency in our lives. We, might, we, we fought sometimes. Like I said, we, when we first got married, we were just children. And so there, you know, that's, we didn't have a chance to mature like we, sh- like we normally would have before we're raising babies. And so we fought a lot in, in those early years. But we would repent and get right again. And we maintained the principles of faith. And though we, though we got sidetracked from time to time, the overall uh, uh, progress of our home was we're going for God. We're going for what he has. We're believing his promises. We believe in healing. We laid hands on the, our kids. We believed God for finances. And our children heard us talking about what we were believing for. They saw us in the trenches, so to speak, in the day-to-day grind of, of believing God and working out our salvation. Listen, preachers have a gift from God that enables them to preach and minister, but we do not have a gift that enables us to live what we preach. We'll say that again. Ministers are gifted to minister, but they're not gifted to live what they minister. We have to live it the same way everybody else does. Like I said, down in the trenches every day in the nitty gritty and the, and the nuts and bolts of making life work. We had to get in there, roll up our sleeves and believe God. We had setbacks, but we made advances continually. And our kids saw that. He said, well, you know, you were a pastor and, and, and you had to do that. Well, like I said, I see pastors all over the place and I know them and other ministers that I don't know what went wrong, but I can tell from their children that are grown now that aren't serving God, something was wrong. I I, I don't know what it is. I'm not their judge, but I know what the Bible says. Amen. And I'm not just seeing it in my home. I can pick out families all over this congregation that have done the same thing with their children. Exactly the same things we did. They weren't perfect. They didn't always get it right, but they consistently lived for God. They lived, listen, your young people know and your little children know, they know the difference between you coming to church and singing the songs and agreeing with the message and agreeing with the truth and then going out and and your life doesn't reflect what you say you believe. They see that. They see that and it marginalizes everything you say. They see that inconsistency. They see that lack of genuineness in your lives. And I'm not saying you're you're perfect all the time, but there has to be some consistency. And when they don't see that, instead they see see consistently compromise and and not honoring God the the, the, the way that they say they do when they're at church. They see that. And what does it do? It tells them what, your, what my mom and dad believe really isn't true. It's really not valid. They don't even act on it. They don't even live this way themselves. So you can, you can believe God that your children are gonna turn out right and that's good. That's good. That's what we did. We believed God. I made those statements of faith. And, and uh, every time it looked like the devil was trying to, 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 
take my kids aside and lead them astray. I, I just jump on the devil. I said, no, you don't. There was a period of time when Pastor Greg, when he was in middle school, that he, he got involved with, with the skateboard crowd. Now, there's nothing wrong with skateboarding. He still skateboards. He likes it. Uh, but the group and his school that were that skateboard crowd at that time, it, there was a culture around it. And it was very rebellious and very, uh, uh, it was just there was a darkness about it. And that whole crowd. And I, huh? Still is that way, Pastor Greg says. I saw him beginning because he got a skateboard. I bought him a skateboard. But I saw him going in that direction. I saw him beginning to take up with more and more of those friends and wanting to do this. And I just, I just took authority over it. I said, no, you don't, devil. He's not going that direction. No, 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 he's not. Now, we already had rules about who he could hang out with, so he'd, he didn't have an opportunity to do a lot with them. But I, I saw the influence. That's what I'm talking about. And I took authority over that. So I break the power of the devil. That's not, that's, that's not getting on my son. And, and I mean, just a matter of just a few weeks, it all changed. He straightened out, you know, and, and, uh, and look at him now. He's just wonderful. <laughs> Nearly perfect. How near, we won't say. But see, that's faith. But it's not just faith. There's actions. You have to put actions behind your faith. You have to act like you believe it. Amen. And with all of the blessings of God in, in life, if you don't follow up by doing what you know you're supposed to do, you can claim the answer all day long. You can claim, I know I'm running over a little bit, but you can claim prosperity all you want. We, we, we teach prosperity. Pastor Greg talked about the, the, the fact that prosperity is a blessing and it's a covenant right. And, you can, and it's yours, it belongs to you and you can believe and, and confess your prosperity and your financial blessing. But if you don't act on what you believe by tithes and offerings and generosity, the Bible has a lot to say about finances and it isn't all just believe and do nothing. They said, well, it's a covenant right. My prosperity is a covenant right, so I just believe I receive it. Yeah, but the Bible also says give and it shall be given unto you. What if you don't give? Well, it shall be given unto you. No. Sowing and reaping. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What if you don't sow? Can you reap from something, reap something that you didn't sow? No. Amen. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully and you can't get around that. So a lot of people today are claiming, I hear them all the time. People, I guess people think we're, we're dumb or something. People will, will, people will come to us and, and testify or they'll testify in church. Oh, the Lord blessed me with, a, with a, a new job and I got a, you know, a such and such pay raise. And we never see any change in their giving. Now, do they think we have stupid written on our face? You're not gonna maintain your prosperity cheating God. People will raise their hand and say, oh, God blessed me with a, you know, somebody gave me a car. 
Angela will tell me, I noticed that was about six months ago. I'm not seeing any difference in their giving. They got this car, you know, it was worth, you know, so many thousands of dollars. I haven't seen any. See, that kind of, what is that? That's not putting actions to your faith. You'll lose whatever you gain if you compromise when you gain it. If you don't follow through and honor God, see, honoring God with the first fruits of all your increase is how you put action to your faith where finances are concerned. Amen. People play funny little games. And or they think. They think nobody's, nobody's watching, but God's watching. God knows. Amen. And if you don't honor him, and if you don't give not just tithes, but offerings, the Bible teaches tithes and offerings. The Bible teaches being generous. Some people are so stingy. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll give in an offering, and just, I mean, it's it, it just like you're tearing it out of their hands. I had a fellow one time tell me, we had a, a service, and I, I, never, I never liked to promote this kind of thing because I think it's easy to, to work people up. And so you've noticed if you've been in our church all these many years, we never have promoted this business of everybody running down to the front, throwing money. There was a kind of a, a wave of that. I don't know if it was of God or not, but you know, back in the 90s, you remember that? And you'd go to meetings and people run down front, throw money. I, if, if that's ever happened here, maybe twice, a couple of times, it certainly wasn't worked up because I, I'm, I'm just not doing that. And, uh, but we have had a couple of times where, well, I don't know if it was the Holy Ghost or not, but it's none of my business. But people got up and ran to the front and, and started putting money down front. And, and this man told me after church one time, he said, I couldn't believe it. He said, it was like I was a different, I was like outside of my body. I, I, I found myself going down front and I found myself taking this money and put, and put and he said, I was like, I was beside myself watching myself saying, wow, what are you doing? He said, I put $20. That's what he told me, a $20 bill. And I was astonished at myself. He told me this after church. I put $20 down. And I, I thought, this isn't even me. How in the, I've never done anything like this before. Huh? I thought to myself, yeah, we know that. But the point is, some people's idea of generosity is not generous at all. Amen. Now, now listen, if that's all you have, that's, that's, a, that's, another, that's another thing altogether. This person had way more than could have done so much more. He never gave anything. He never tithed, never put a dime in that we know of, except this one time he got outside of himself. <laughs> And put twenty dollars in, but my point is, faith without corresponding actions is dead. It's fruitless. It won't work. And you can claim the promise all you want to, but if you're not willing to act on what you know to do, it won't produce. Amen. But if you will act, Amen. If you act, faith. Notice in, in James, it said he uses Abraham as an example. It says that when Abraham offered Isaac, his son up, you know, uh, as a sacrifice, of course, God intervened and, and prevented the, the full measure of that. But it says that Abraham's actions 
worked together with his faith and by his actions, his faith was completed and made perfect. If you'll act on what you believe, listen to me, church, if you'll act on what you believe, believe it in your heart and then act on it. I tell you what, hell and the earth or anything in between cannot stop the blessing from coming to you. In due season, you will reap. You keep on sowing, you keep on doing right, you keep on doing right with your family, you say the right things, you claim the right things, you pray for your kids, but you follow it up by action and making sure that there is no opportunity in your home for your kids to go any other way. And you demonstrate Christian living. You demonstrate a life of faith. You demonstrate faith by your giving and the blessing of God will come upon you. My sons are... are my oldest son's 45 this year, will be 45, and Greg is, how old are you? 40, be 41 this year. <laughs> and they've not always been perfect, but I can tell you what, they've been consistent growing up. They've been consistent. They followed God all of their life, all through early school, late, you know, high school, college, into their adult life. Both of my sons love God, live for God, and it's because faith with actions produces. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. Hallelujah. Healing isn't an accident. It's, it's the result of faith and actions. Prosperity is not an accident. It's the result of faith and corresponding actions. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.